This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. everybody it's that middle of the month better watch your speed today whoops did i say that well good morning this is bob Salter. on our program this morning we should have a very interesting discussion good guest is with us for both hours of our program and it's a topic that we're going to explore that um we have never gone into in detail on this program. This topic has been explored on other shows, obviously on WFAN, and is an appropriate discussion to say the least. Joining us in our program today is a personal injury attorney who is based here in New York. His name is Paul Edelstein, and Paul is joining us to talk with us about the topic of what has come to be known by the acronym of C-T-E. Uh, C-T-E, um, you just say that name, and that usually gets an immediate reaction. And in many cases, that reaction from athletes, from coaches, is stunned silence. In some cases, it is in the area of fear. Uh, Paul, first of all, good morning. Welcome to our program on The Fan. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me on. It's nice to have you uh, join us. There are many different areas to go in discussion, and we'll get into talking about your involvement um, with this topic and this area in a couple of different ways in the course of our discussion. We'll also try and work in some thoughts from some of the people listening to us if they are on point with things that we are talking about. But I always like to start as simply as possible. How do you... Explain what CTE is. Well, uh, CTE is an abnormal finding in brains that that has been discovered uh, only after the death of people. We haven't yet been able, or medicine hasn't been able to figure out how to discover it before examining a brain after a person's death. It's a protein that's being found in brains that's, uh, that's not found in brains without some type of damage, and it's it's really linked to dementia and ALS type of symptoms. So to sort of alternate uh, brain findings, traumatic brain injury, essentially. And it's being found predominantly in, in brains of athletes, in this case most likely football, most of the time football players, people that have had repetitive hits to the head. So it's a scary kind of finding when you link it with athletics or contact sports that involve uh, hits to the head, predominantly football. 
And obviously, you know, when you say sports that can involve hits to the head, natural thoughts go to things like boxing, um, even some of the MMA activity, uh, too, I'm assuming can fall into that category. Uh, no question. I mean, well, that's how, that's how I became more familiar with it, other than just an average uh, fan or uh, reader. Mm-hmm. We learned a lot about it, obviously, through our participation in a, in, a, in a case that involved a boxer and then learned a lot about it through MMA and some of the rules and regulations. You know, we, we learned it as attorneys out of necessity, representing somebody that has a brain injury. I think a lot of people are unfortunately going to learn about it, uh, not connected to it as in a professional sense as, a, as an attorney, but maybe personally. And there are a lot of people out there, a lot of clients of mine, a lot of families of clients of mine that, while maybe don't understand CTE, unfortunately have had to deal with TBI on relatives or children. Uh, Paul, I think we started to lose you a little bit there. Um, you said a lot of people have had to deal with uh, TBI, with um, TBI, of course, being traumatic brain injury, um, with, um, I guess, family members or the like. And we're talking with uh, personal injury attorney Paul Edelstein, and he is talking with us on a program on the fan this Sunday morning. I'm Bob Salter. Uh, by the way, this day, from the um, standpoint of Major League Baseball, is being observed as some Jackie Robinson Day, and there's going to be thoughts on this expressed on WFAN throughout the day. We'll share some thoughts with you in the course of our time with you this morning. Uh, Paul, you were saying before the uh, we lost our connection that you know some people have had the experience of um, having a family member, a loved one, uh, dealing with TBI or traumatic brain injury. So that that may be something that they're more familiar with as opposed to um, CTE, which obviously is something that um, has impacted a lot of uh, those in the athletic world, uh, too. And, you know, when we talk about this, um, you used a term earlier in our discussion of saying that it's kind of a scary thing to talk about uh, from the standpoint of those who participate in athletics, um, largely, I guess, because there is no way to diagnose CTE. Is that right? At this point, unless you see signs and symptoms of, of, a, of a brain injury, of a TBI on someone, mm-hmm. you can't know that, they, that, they, that they're walking around with CTE. It's, it's something that's diagnosed through examining brains after a person's death. So yeah, it's, it's a, you're not going to go to a doctor's office and get a blood test and, some, and have a doctor tell you 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 know you're suffering from CTE. Mm-hmm. Uh, nor do we really know how to treat it if you do have it, because we're not medicine is not diagnosing people with it while they're walking around. Okay, let's talk a little bit since you alluded to this earlier about how it is that you started to learn about this. Obviously, this was in your line of work. Talk with us if you would about this case that. Um, really, I guess, got your firm introduced in a big way uh, to CTE? Well, I mean, first, we, we, we had represented a lot of uh, people with TBI before we represented Magomed Abdul-Salamov, this, this boxer, so we knew a lot about brain injury. I think a lot of personal injury attorneys know a lot about brain injury, and we have to, unfortunately. 
<clears throat> we then represented Magomed, who was a, a Russian boxer who had a, a heavyweight fight in Madison Square Garden in November 2013. The fight uh, went the distance with a Cuban fighter named Mike, Mike Perez, a 10-round fight. There was, it, it was a fairly brutal fight in terms of how boxing goes. Uh, Mago suffered a fractured cytoma in his face, a, a, a bone in his face near his eye, a large laceration, uh, and unfortunately had a, a subdural hematoma. So he mm. had a brain bleed that clearly came about as a result of the fight at some point during the fight, although there's no way to know exactly when. Unfortunately, after the fight, the fight doctors, the ringside physicians that were there that really only have one responsibility or two, watch both fighters, make sure they don't have any injuries uh, that could result permanent damage. None of them thought uh, that the injuries were significant enough to send Mago to a hospital where a brain injury could have been ruled out, or in this case, that they would have discovered it if they would have given him a diagnostic test, which couldn't be done at Madison Square Garden. So they advised him he was fine. He can go to the doctor the next day. There wasn't anything of an urgent or emergent nature uh, at Madison Square Garden, and Unfortunately, the brain injury that he had started to manifest itself in symptoms. He started to deteriorate uh, while at the garden. And outside the garden, he started vomiting and having real significant problems. His entourage, his handlers and trainers, mostly from Russia, didn't really know what to do. They ended up in a yellow taxi trying to go to a hospital in Manhattan on a Saturday night. And by the time they got there, it was too late to prevent permanent brain damage. And that's that kind of connects up to what we, what you and I are talking about. And when you have a brain injury of really any level, it can result in really significant findings from what Matt death being one of them, obviously, or from what Magomed has, which is just a severe disability and real permanent neurological impairment or something much more subtle. Like you get headaches or you're moody. You have a lot of personality change. And that's what a lot of families deal with on a daily basis. And uh, that's a real tragedy of TBI, which I think, it's, it's a good thing to get the word out there a little bit more, kind of like what, what you're doing today and what a lot of people are doing connected to CTE. Hmm. In Mago's case, how long a procedure was it in terms of the, the court process and before you actually wound up with the settlement? Well, that's a good question because it, the court process is not yet complete. Uh, part of the process was complete. The state of New York was a defendant in the case. Mm -hmm. And attorneys for the state of New York, from the attorney general's office, most prominently the attorney handling the case, whose name was Ross Herman, handled the case with incredible amount of empathy and professionalism. And because they handled the case that way, the attorney generals, uh, the case was resolved against the state of New York in a fairly expeditious manner. Cases take a long time, but it was after all the discovery was complete that they came to the table quite early and said, let's sit down, let's work this out, and they did, and there was a, a, a large settlement with the state of New York for $22 million, which was uh, the biggest settlement on behalf of one personal injury client uh, from the state of New York in a case like this. So the case against the state resolved, but the individual ringside physicians who are represented by medical malpractice insurance carriers and their attorneys have not resolved the case. So the case is still, remain, still remains open against these three physicians, which for personally, from a, from an attorney standpoint, we're happy about because we think we're going to get a chance to try that that part of the case in open court, and hopefully have the media, someone like you, pay attention. ESPN has paid close attention to the case, and then it could put a little spotlight on the safety deficiencies in boxing and MMA uh, by getting a case to open court. 
So these three physicians with their malpractice insurance carriers haven't made an offer on the case to settle it at all. And the case is proceeding to trial. It will reach trial in Brooklyn, in Kings County Supreme Court, either sometime in the summer or September. And it'll be really interesting to see how they could justify their actions that night. Because obviously the state of New York felt it had 22 million reasons that they felt differently. Mm. A lot to talk about in uh, this discussion. We're talking with uh, Paul Edelstein. Paul is a personal injury attorney. He is talking with us in both hours of our program this morning, talking about CTE. And we've really just begun our discussion. We'll get into talking about um, some of the efforts in terms of uh, Mago's Law as well in uh, this discussion. And I mentioned, too, that... If uh, folks are on point with things that we are talking about and want to join our discussion, you can at any point during our program today because Paul's with us for both hours of our program this Sunday morning. In our program this morning, we're talking about the topic of CTE and joining us on our program is personal injury attorney um, Paul Edelstein. He has um, shared some thoughts with us at the beginning of our discussion. What we had uh, shared with you early on was about this unfortunate um, experience that his client, who is a Russian boxer, uh, had experienced back in 2013 in a fight at uh, Madison Square Garden. And, uh, you know, the... $22 million settlement that um, resolved part of the legal case. You know, as I sit here and think about that, and I'm assuming some of the people who are listening to our discussion today think about it, you think of that price tag, but you also think of what this man and his family have gone through. Can you put that in perspective for us? Can I? No. I think you're going to have to ask his wife. I've never lived with anybody in my house. Yeah, I guess, you know, for those of us who who haven't lived with somebody, it would be almost impossible to try to understand what it is the person person goes through. Um, It is. It's impossible to understand unless you live with it. On a daily basis, I think Mago uh, or someone with a traumatic brain injury like him can put an easy spotlight on it because it's easy for anybody to see somebody in a wheelchair who can't speak and can't care for themselves and say, God, that's got to be incredibly awful for him and for his family to go through. But it's the the more subtle PBI cases that that are much, much harder to understand when you have a, a child or a teenager or, or an adult even, and they have a mild PBI, and that means that their personality changes uh, or their way of thinking changes or they get headaches or they forget things. I mean, the closest thing I can equate to it is maybe if you live with an elderly person, if you have an elderly parent or something like that, and you've known them all your life, and then you're seeing, suddenly seeing that they can't function the way they did and need more help. And that is a mild form of, uh, you know, a, a brain dysfunction. Uh, of course, it's not caused. Most cases, it's degenerative. It's age, the aging process. But that's that's sort of a mild version of TBI. But imagine when that happens through somebody's through some fault of somebody or on a young, a much younger person, and happens overnight. 
Mm. You know, you wake up the next day and you have that. Mm. No, I can't imagine that um, because it just sounds like an absolutely horrifying experience and uh, an impossible uh, way to live. What is Mago's Law? Well, well, Mago's Law is something that sort of we we put out there. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a distillation. So we sort of looked at what was going on with the Athletic Commission rules and regulations for combat fighters, MMA, and boxers, and we said, well. The way to avoid what happened to Mago would be very simple, and it would it would be to uh, rule out a brain injury of his type. And the only way you can do that, there's only two ways you can do that. And one is through a diagnostic test. So you give the person a CT or an MRI, and you know conclusively there's no brain bleed. If you're not going to do that, then we we advocated getting them in, in a scheme of medical care, much like if they were in an emergency room where they could be observed. So in other words, every single person with a suspected head injury is not going to get uh, an expensive diagnostic test like a CT or an MRI. We understand that. Mm-hmm. Although although for boxers, we don't have a problem if every one of them did get that because there's so much money involved in boxing and MMA, then why not as a precaution? But if you're not going to give everybody a scan and every head injury, head trauma victim doesn't need a scan, that's, that's totally reasonable. The other thing you can do is wait enough time and have trained medical personnel observe them for enough time so that you can conclusively rule out a brain injury as well. And that happens sort of if, you, if you've ever had a kid, you know, like my nephew was injured on a soccer field in Brooklyn and Diker Heights. He collided heads with another soccer player and firemen, you know, in Brooklyn who were on the sidelines watching parents and such, they treat, they, they gave my nephew better treatment than Mago got in, in Madison Square Garden. And in the sense that they took him to the ER, they observed him, they asked him neurological questions and they observed him for a period of time where it would have been obvious after enough time that he had or didn't have a possible brain bleed, and then you could give him an MRI. So Mago's Law is essentially two things. Rule it out. Rule out the real dangerous brain injury like Mago had, either by way of giving somebody a CT or MRI right away, then you know. If you're not going to do that, keep them in a medical setting where you can observe them over a period of time. They're called serial assessments. That's what the doctors call them. But essentially, if if it were you and I and we didn't know what was going on, you'd be waiting in a in a examining room in an, in an ER, let's say, and you think to yourself, geez, where's the doctor? He was here 15 minutes ago. What, what's going on? Why am I waiting here? Well, guess what? You're waiting there on purpose. You're waiting there so they can see if there's a change in your condition, and they're going to come back, and they're going to ask you another series of neurological questions, and they're going to know if your symptoms have changed. So Magno's Law is essentially those two things. Do one or the other. Either keep the person in your observation with neurologists who can see if there's been a change, in circumstances, or get them to a place where there can be a CT or an MRI to rule it out. They didn't do either thing in Mago's case, and now I got a guy in a wheelchair who's never going to get out of it, and that's just tragic. So, in terms of Mago's law, is this is the desire to have this be formal legislation, and if so, what's that process like? Yeah, we, we'd like to see it be formal legislation in, in, in New York, but really nationally. One of the problems you have with, with boxing is that there's no standardized federal regulation. It's, it's statewide. And so when you have that, you don't have consistency in the regulation. So we'd like to see it go, go national. It's obviously not very complicated. We're really just saying treat these guys like emergency room patients, which is essentially what they are. Anybody that got in a car accident and, and walked out of a car and looked like Mago did or any of these other boxers or MRA fighters, would be if they went into an emergency room, they'd be kept there mm-hmm. for a little while just to make sure or they'd be given a CT. So it's a simple it's a simple 
regulation that we'd like to see done. To get it passed, you really need to get uh, legislators, in, legislators in New York behind it. You need to get politicians behind it. You need to get sort of a groundswell for support. And then it goes through a political process of debate, gets into a, you know, a legislative floor, and we don't really see a reason why uh, something like this shouldn't be a part of Athletic Commission rules and regulations, particularly in a sport that generates so much money for the state of New York. It seems to make sense. Uh, there were certain laws that were changed as a result of Magno's fight, uh, but were cosmetic. You know, insurance regulations were put in place because obviously we know there was a huge taxpayer payment on this. And we understand, I'm a taxpayer in New York, so I, I get it. I don't think I should foot the bill uh, for the negligence of these doctors that night. So those kind of things were put out there, uh, definitely as a result of this case. But they don't protect the fighters' safety. So MAGO's law or something like it would. Well, is there, you know, you, you talk about the idea of there being a need for uh, political backing uh, to obviously get legislation moving um, and ultimately to get it adopted and into law. Is there any sort of um, movement backing uh, for that? There is some movement. We have we have uh, some senator in Brooklyn who seems to be interested. That the biggest way to get movement is through what I'm doing right now. I mean, if we, if the press reports on this, and ESPN has really been a big uh, component of this, and uh, some of the New York papers, the New York Times, uh, if they put it out there, they'll you know there'll be more more support for it. And then the only thing that can sort of push this kind of legislation through. Lawsuit, you know. I mean, that's that's so, just so unfortunate that sometimes it's a, it has to be a byproduct of someone like me coming in and suing a state of New York to, you know, let's change something for the better. Uh, so, you know, and that, as a personal injury lawyer, we do believe in that what we do has has two effects. One, we can help our clients and their families, but the secondary effect that all of us really believe in is that that what we do can effectuate change on a greater good, a societal type of change. If we think that if we see something that can be changed. And this is an area that we think can easily be changed, uh, and, and not to anybody's detriment. I mean, what would be so hard by saying, you know, all combat, combat participants in boxing or MMA at the end of a fight either have to be in an ER or be in that kind of setting or remain at the arena for a certain period of time before they're discharged, or the alternative is get a CT or, or an MRI so that we know you don't have this. How hard would that be? By the way, all you have to do is hold these guys' checks back and say you're not going to get paid tonight <laughs> until you've been here for a certain period of time, right. and I know you don't have a brain injury. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when you talk about the idea of you know needing to build a groundswell of um, support for this, I understand the importance of media coverage. I can understand the importance of uh, legislators uh, stepping up in this, but you also need basically public support for it. Uh, too, um, it would seem almost um, illogical to think that there would be anybody who would really be opposed to this. Or am I wrong? <laughs> well, everybody, everybody has an opinion. Uh, that's but most of the opinions I've heard align with what you're saying. Like, what what would be so wrong with doing this? One opinion that we've heard, and we've heard it from. Uh, you know, the, the lawyers on the other side of our case is, what do you want? And they put 
Oops, uh, we're 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 losing you there, uh, Paul. We didn't catch the last part. You said the lawyers on the other side of the case, and then the line seemed to um, pass on us uh, there. Okay, all right. So we're gonna have to reconnect um, with Paul. Let me mention the fact that you can listen to WFAN anytime, anywhere. Download the Radio.com app and favorite us today. And if you have Alexa, you just say. Play WFAN Sports Radio 101.9 FM or play WFAN Sports Radio 66 and you'll be locked in to the fan. Hi there, Alexa. WFAN's toll-free line. You want to join our discussion today, 877-337-6666. We are in a discussion with uh, our guest on our program this morning. He is a, a personal injury attorney here in uh, New York. Uh, Paul Edelstein is talking with us. We've been talking about this uh, topic of uh, CTE, and that's our plan is to talk about this topic for both hours of our program this morning. Uh, Paul is uh, sharing some information with us uh, on this case and talked a little bit about this uh, um, proposal for Mago's Law as well. Uh, This in the Major League Baseball circles today is known as Jackie Robinson Day, and this, of course, is the 71st anniversary today of Jackie Robinson breaking baseball's color barrier. So there are going to be players, managers, coaches, and umpires wearing uh, Jackie Robinson's number 42 today uh, to signify that Jackie Robinson Day today in Major League Baseball. Now, before we uh, lost you, you mentioned the fact that attorneys on the other side were saying, and then the call dropped. So what were they saying? Uh, well, you know, we've heard blowbacks on the other side saying, what do you want us to do, give an MRI or a CT to every boxer that comes out? That's impractical. Now, mm-hmm. The answer to that is, one, uh, why, what would be so wrong with that? I mean, we, then we would know for sure. But, but from a secondary perspective, we've also advocated, well, if you're not, if you're not going to give them a, a diagnostic test to rule out a brain injury, you could at least observe them for a period of time. You can wait for this period of time, sort of golden hour in medicine. And after that point, the odds of them having a brain injury are dramatically lower. So if you wait a certain period of time and there are no neurological findings on someone with a head trauma after a period of time, the odds of them having a a brain bleed that could kill them or cripple them are way, way lower. So it's really just do one of those two things. What's so wrong with that? So you're right. I, I don't understand what would be the opposition other than just inertia. (laughs) <laughs> Very interesting uh, statement. Paul Edelstein uh, talking with us on our program on FAN this Sunday morning. He's a personal injury attorney. He's with us for both hours of our show. I said you want to join us in our discussion, you can. 877-337-6666 is our number. We're talking about this topic of CTE. We've got more to get to in discussion. I want to follow up on some of the things that uh, Paul has uh, mentioned um, as well. Uh, thus far in our chat and talk more about um, CTE as we continue in our chat this Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning on WFAN. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We are in a uh, discussion on our program this morning talking about CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Um, CTE, a degenerative brain disease. Uh, And we're talking with uh, 
somebody who has become an expert uh, on this topic. He is a personal injury attorney, and he's joined us for both hours of our program this morning. Paul Edelstein is um, talking with us on our program, and he's shared an awful lot thus far in our discussion. One of the things that I was thinking, uh, Paul, and I don't believe we've touched upon this. You know, our focus has been talking about athletes, including um, your client with um, CTE. You've touched a little bit on TBI, uh, traumatic brain injury. What about military veterans? Do they experience CTE? Sure. Any, anybody, anybody that, that has a repetitive head injury, mm-hmm. anybody, uh, can experience CTE or any kind of mild form of TBI. So it, it's not restricted to, obviously, to athletes or uh, combat uh, participants in reality or in sport. And it, but the, the symptoms of it are, are the real problem. And the milder ones are the ones that are particularly difficult for friends and family. You know, I'm sitting here, I, I changed phones for you, and so it's been a little frustrating for 45 minutes, right, that have kind of had the line drop, or, and you and I have been interrupted. Well, think about if that happened on a daily basis for you as a person, with you, for you and your family. If you had that kind of disconnect with finding your keys or in the middle of a conversation you lost your train of thought, think about how fr- it's been a little bit frustrating for me on the phone. I'm sure it is for you as a, as a host. It probably happens all the time to have to deal with that. Think about that if you woke up the next day and all of a sudden you had frequent episodes of this kind of disconnect. That's what it's like in a mild sense. And again, like we said earlier, for most people, most of us, we're going to find it um, frustrating. We'd find it difficult to understand. And one of the first thoughts we would have is, how on earth can somebody exist like this? Um, because, you know, as you said earlier, too, and it's real frustrating to think about it, there's no way to diagnose this. And no, but you could prevent, prevent it, some of it. That's that's the tricky area here, okay, is you can prevent some of it. Two questions with that. Number one, how? And then number two, where are we in terms of preventing it in the areas, the ways that we actually can? Well, I mean, that, that's the real question because you can't prevent it for uh, a, a, a soldier who experiences a head trauma on a battlefield, you can't prevent it uh, from a, somebody that falls down and hits their head uh, or is in a car accident. But if you can prevent it in other areas, wouldn't you want to? If this is such a tragic outcome that's, that we all agree we don't want to experience on a mild or, or, or extreme level like my client, then, wouldn't, then shouldn't we do everything we can to, to prevent that situation from happening? And you, you, you certainly can. Uh, by changing rules and regulations in, in athletics to deal with it. And it. Some sports have and some haven't. Outside of rules and regulations, is there actual equipment that's needed to be changed? Well, I mean, boy, the NFL has spent a lot more money than, uh, than, and time than I have to research that. I, so I imagine they've done everything they can to make the helmets as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to some extent, when you're doing this kind of stuff, it's just like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Right, right. I mean, it, 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 
it may not be enough, or it probably is not going to be enough, if, especially with CTE, which is not really from the, medicines, the medicine that's coming out connected to concussions, and that's sort of the, the disconnect that was there, like, oh, well, let's pre- try to prevent concussions, we'll prevent CTE. It seems like that's not the real connection. It's just repetitive head trauma, head trauma that may not even rise to the level of a concussion. And if, so if you have these repeated head traumas uh, of really any degree, the repetitive nature of them is what we're seeing linked to CTE from these studies, predominantly the Boston University study that came out. So you're going to have to prevent the head, con- the head contacts as much as you can in order to lower the risk of CTE, CTE appearing later on. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of um, parents, grandparents, in some cases coaches, listening to our discussion today, and you think of young players, young athletes uh, coming along and their potential exposure to this from repeated head trauma. Um, it's got to be frustrating for them because it's like, what do you do? I mean, do you get to a point well, where... Well, it, it's a choice you have to make, I, I guess. Um, but, you ha- but in order for you to make the choice, you've got to have a, a complete you know, breadth of information in front of you mm-hmm. before you go ahead and do it. So, for instance, like we're sitting here right now, and if you and I were talking about smoking cigarettes, I think we'd, we'd, we would say, what, that's, that's insane. Why, why, you know, why would anybody smoke a cigarette? And some people will, will choose to smoke a cigarette, but, they, but at least those people sitting here today in this time period in 2018 know all the risks associated with it, and they say, okay, well, I, I understand the risks, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. The problem with CTE and contact sports is we're sort of in, in the infancy stage I think of the general public understanding the implications of what they're doing. So 30 or 40 years ago, if we had the same discussion that we're having right now about cigarettes, what do you do? Most people would say, what are you talking about? They don't, wouldn't know the, the, the implications, the, the negative implications of smoking. In fact, it was put out there back then as a positive. Oh, it'll help you. You'll be vibrant. You'll be energetic. It was like a good thing. And now the, me- the mental uh, you know, view of this, we all know, from everything we've learned, that it's, it's actually the, uh, the opposite. Well, the same thing might be happening now with CTE and head trauma in sports, where 20, 30, 40 years from now we might look back and say, wow, why in the world would we, would we have permitted this to happen knowing what we know? We're just starting to get there now, and we may look back on it, much like we look back in, at the tobacco industry now and say, well, we know a lot more now, so we would go about things differently. Are there in other states... Um, similar discussions being held on this topic? Oh, absolutely. You know, we, we've seen, you know, from the, you can, it's easy to do the research now, obviously, with the Internet, and this is, the, is, is a discussion that's going on all over the place. Um, there are various rule changes in contact football at lower levels to reduce the instances of uh, head trauma. Uh, even the NFL has limited... Uh, you know, contact and practices and things like that, which will reduce the uh, volume, the you know, the repetitive nature of the head injuries. So you're you're you're, you're absolutely starting uh, starting to see it. There's been a recommendation that there not be uh, contact in football below the high school level. You know, uh, that, that that you don't you know have the hitting that's going on below the high school level. Obviously, anything that reduces the number of times that you're that you have a head trauma is going to reduce your chances of having any type of TBI, including CTE. 
interesting discussion we're having with uh, Paul Edelstein on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. You want to join us in our discussion, WFAN's toll-free line, 877-337-6666. It is brought to you by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. Plan your stay at mohegansun.com. And we're talking about this topic of CTE and uh, head traumas, repetitive head traumas. Uh, let's start with folks on the phone, and we'll start in uh, New Jersey. Let's go over to Jay in Bergen County. Jay, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning. Always an interesting show. Mr. Thank you. Edelstein, uh, this, uh, this uh, unfortunately, with this uh, Russian boxer uh, that you say, you know, the care wasn't there for him. I mean, do they have, uh, would they have MRIs there at the garden like they do, say, in the uh, Giants? Uh, locker room, or uh, the Yankees uh, clubhouse. They did not. They did not have an MRI uh, machine at Madison Square Garden. I'm not aware that they have an, an actual MRI machine at Yankee Stadium, or, or anything they, like that. I believe they do because somebody uh, got injured the other day, and they had. An, they said they had an MRI, and it was negative. Okay. Uh, that well, was during, during the game. They so. definitely. They definitely. They definitely did not have one. At Madison Square Garden that okay. night, but uh, but but that's a great question to ask though also because can you imagine you know Aaron Judge having an injury at, at in a Yankee game and not being sent for an MRI either either if it was at Yankee Stadium or more likely in an emergency room is that even possible for that to happen and yet that's what happened to my guy in yeah. the world's most famous arena so that's a real problem in the case itself now also uh, this bare neck bare knuckle boxing this uh, McGregor who threw the hand truck through the window I mean he's got to have a couple spark bugs missing already <laughs> a lot now. of people have asked me that and, and uh, lately with about McGregor and whether we th- whether I think it's connected to CTE and um, it's either that or it's part of the show Right, I mean, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me to know that the guy's taking so much head trauma that it, it it's affecting his behavior to some degree. But it also wouldn't surprise me to think that hey, maybe this is all part of the, uh, uh, you know, of the uh, marketing in, in terms of this sport. I don't know. Without if he's got to do an MRI of the guy's head, I guess. Yeah, if but if this bare knuckle boxing is going to, it's violent. I mean, you're going in there, you're being kicked in the head, punched in the head repetitively. At least in the boxing ring with gloves, there is some kind of cushion. Uh, boxing's been around for years, you know, hundreds, uh, hundreds, a uh, hundred and what, fifty years. Boxing, it started as bare knuckle boxing years ago, but to put yourself in a ring and then want to blame the garden or the state or the the city, I I think that's you know gone a little far to 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 you know let yourself be kicked in the head repetitively and and want to blame somebody but yourself. And uh, well, I'll let you, you see. You, <clears throat> sure. <clears throat> now, I mean, obviously, this is a common. Uh, complaint that we've heard about this particular case. What you talk about is assumption of the risk. Hey, if you go in there and assume the risk, uh, you know how could you blame somebody thereafter? But in Mago's case, Mago did not assume the risk that after he was going to perform and entertain all the fans at the Garden and everywhere else, that the four people, four trained medical personnel that were there specifically to guard his safety were going to fail him. He didn't assume that risk. And well, it's, much, it's not much different than going to a swimming pool and you say, well, I'm going to go swimming today. What, Me and one other person. What and then, could have, and, hold on one second. And then uh, I'll tell you. Uh, we're going to go swimming today, but there are, and there are going to be four lifeguards, and they're, they're going to watch me. Well, I assume the risk when I go swimming that I may drown, okay? But how do I drown with four lifeguards who are being paid just to watch me? 
And that's what happened in MAGO. So he didn't assume the risk that afterwards that people right. were, were going to fail. How could he have been saved unless there was either, like I said, an MRI or a surgeon there to operate on him immediately? How, could, how else could he have been saved? If he, would, if he had been put in an ambulance immediately after that fight and gotten right to St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital within a few minutes, which is what would have happened, he would have been in the care of competent neurologists, which is not what happened at Madison Square Garden. They would was have he seen the signs out? and symptoms. No, he wasn't knocked out. If he was knocked out, by the way, he would have been, it would have been mandated. He would have immediately uh, went to the hospital. So I All think right. that's kind of silly. If my guy doesn't fall down, he doesn't get to go to the hospital. Think about that. So if he's, but if he was in the, if he was in the emergency room, he would have been in a scheme of medical care. They would have given him a CT right away. They would have been observing him. They would have seen the signs of this brain injury. And we know how long it took. I don't want to get into the specifics of the medicine with Bago, but we're not afraid to. Uh, that had he gotten the surgery earlier, had he been in the care of neurologists earlier, you would have prevented the permanent damage that occurred from this brain injury. And how, this is how much, a case where the guy got hit and, had, and died right in the ring. How much time lapsed between him leaving the ring and getting to a hospital and getting an MRI? Wow, you, see, you sound like you're calling from my defense attorney's offices, but these are good questions. How much time from him getting an MRI? Hours. Something Hour. like two and a half hours went by. Okay. Between the end of the fight and him being in St. Luke's Roosevelt's emergency room and these guys getting him uh, an MRI. The fight ended yeah, at about yeah. 10.45. He's in the emergency room, according to their records, at 12.30. That's a no. long time when, yeah, no, that, when you're that's talking that's about much brain too, injury. Much too long, much too long. I see your point there. Well, listen, very good discussion this morning, Bob and Mr. Edelstein. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jay. My Thank pleasure. you for your call. 877-337-6666. You want to join in the discussion? We're talking with uh, Paul Edelstein on our program on The Fan. He is a personal injury attorney and talking with us about this topic of CTE. And we touched upon uh, TBI as well in the discussion. The link between CTE and death. What is known about that? And, and death? Yes. The, in terms you know, of, as far as I know from the research, the link between them is that without death, we, didn't, we would have never known about CTE. Every brain that's been examined on, uh, from athletes to look for CTE has been on a dead one. So, I mean, I think your question is really, uh, is there some medical link between having CTE and, and, and death itself? Yes, yes. And from, from what I've read in the literature, uh, one hasn't been discovered yet, but that, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And there's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of question as to whether CTE can be linked to the suicides of some of these guys like Junior Sao and, and Aaron Hernandez, particularly whose brains were examined and there was significant CTE found. You, you can't really directly make that link, at least with the medicine that exists right now, and say, well, if you have this level of CTE, you're more likely to either die or kill yourself. But it doesn't seem like an unreasonable presumption to think that there, that link might ultimately be, uh, be found. Should there be more of a, um, a sense of outrage um, about CTE and the incidence of it in this country? I think, there's, I think there should be, because, and, it, and all you'd have to talk to is any family who has a family member with any level of TBI, and ask, and you're going to get that sense of outrage. Could this have been prevented? And every single one of them is going to tell you if there's if if there was anything that they could have done to prevent the TBI at any level 
from happening to their loved one, they would say they would do it. Mago's family, I guarantee you, would give back 100 cents on the dollar of what they received in this lawsuit to say we would just like him the way he was before. Anything to prevent this from happening. Your brain is just such a sensitive organ, and, and, and everything changes here with that. More that with every, Anybody would want that. More with Paul Edelstein as we continue on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. Eight o'clock update. It is Rick Wolf who's along with the Sports Edge program. Along after our nine o'clock update this Sunday morning, Ed Randall will be by. He'll be talking baseball. Among the things he'll be chatting about today, I'm sure, the 71st anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking baseball's color barrier. This Jackie Robinson day in Major League Baseball. A lot of observations being shared on the fan about Jackie Robinson Day today as well. I'm Bob Salter. We're in discussion with personal injury attorney Paul Edelstein. Uh, He is talking with us about this topic of CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And um, we try to work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us as well in our discussion. There's lots of different areas to go in this chat WFAN's toll-free line, 877-337-6666. It's brought to you by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. Plan your stay at mohegansun.com. Let's go back to the phone to uh, Kevin in Allentown. Kevin, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Thanks for holding on so long. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you. Yourself? I had the uh, privilege of being um, my best friend played in the NFL for 11 years, and he was forced to retire because of uh, concussions. Mm-hmm. And if you knew the hell that he went through during his career and after his career with sleeping in black rooms and blacking out while we're in the car and stuff, it, the head trauma is just absolutely disgraceful. Mm. And I bet if he had the choice to make again, he might choose differently. If he knew what people, what we now sort of know, he might. He has three. He has three. Be- he he has three beautiful kids, and none of them can play football. That says a lot, right there. You know, and uh, and he was a trooper, and he wouldn't if they didn't force him to retire from the Jets, he would still have been playing today. You know, that's that's how tough he was, and uh, the head trauma he he's going through now, and. You know, the rest of his life, and there's obviously CTE there. It's it's really, really awful. Hmm. And unfortunately, um, he certainly isn't alone in experiencing that um, tough situation. Thank you for um, sharing that with us, and certainly uh, we hope for the best uh, continued for him as um, he tries to deal with that situation. I mean, you know, you hear situations like that, Paul, and... It just breaks your heart uh, thinking about what the person goes through. And, and you know, it's not just the person, it's their family, you know? Well, that, that's the tragedy. But, but these guys didn't know the things that we know 
right now, and mm. we're continuing to know right now. So I think the real tragedy is that is that people participating in these sports with head trauma, they should do it eyes wide open. They didn't have that opportunity 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. They, just like smokers, didn't know. You know, my, my mother has that, you know, emphysema. My, my kids ask her, well, why would you have smoked a cigarette if, if you knew it did this to you? And, you know, you're, you're going to have all these problems. And my mother's answer is pretty simple. I didn't know. If now I would never do it. You know, so th- this is what we're, what we're going to start to see with, with contact sports. Pe- more of these stories coming out and more people saying, well, now that I know what I know, I'm going to make a different choice. I'm not going to let my kids play or I'm not going to play. And that's what you're going to, it's just inevitable that we're going to see this. And you think of, you know, because this phrase keeps bouncing around um, in my thought process, this idea of repetitive head trauma, because I just think of how many different people are exposed to that. A lot of different athletes, obviously, uh, and we haven't even mentioned um, hockey players uh, as well. But, you know, you think about veterans, um, you also think about something that, again, some people might not like to talk about, but it's a reality. People who have been involved and are victims of domestic abuse, um, where they in some cases may have been exposed to repetitive head trauma. I mean, somebody like that potentially could develop CTE. Well, that, that obviously, that, well, those are, that would be a criminal act. These are, mm. you know, these would be a, a affirmative assaults that nobody that we have criminal penalties right. to try to dissuade people from from you know from doing. Uh, that that's just a horrible thing. Can you prevent that? In some cases, you can't prevent a domestic uh, violence abuse situation, but at least society has said that's completely one hundred percent unacceptable, and instituted a severe punishment in the event that that happens. I don't know what else you can do uh, as a society to change that and, and and everything that we're seeing, make it unacceptable, completely unacceptable. So that in that sense, for domestic violence victims, that's what you have. Uh, you know, we're talking about. You know, other things when you talk about sports participants, you, you want to reduce the amount of head, repetitive head trauma you have in, under any circumstances based on, on, on the medicine that, that we know about. And when we talk about the ways to go about reducing that, one of the things that you've mentioned has been discussed a lot on this station, as you would imagine, is this idea of um, eliminating uh, contact, um, specifically, usually tackle, uh, football under a certain age. I guess the idea has been floated about um, eliminating this under high school age. Um, How do you feel about that? Do you think that's a good idea? It's not just a good idea. it's, It's just the most obvious idea. I mean, you're talking about developing brains at that point which are far more susceptible to damage, uh, you know, than, than brains that are further along uh, in some senses. So I, I don't know why, I don't know how anyone could argue against that as being a, a good protective safety measure. It, it, it's going to reduce the amount of head trauma that that athlete has, number one, because you're not going to have it at a below a certain age, and it's going to take out of the equation certain age-developed brains you know, that lower ones, obviously, from, from receiving head trauma. So how, how in the world can that not be 
a good idea. I don't know. I'd like to hear the argument against that. Mm. And what does one say to somebody who's had a concussion or in some cases a series of concussions and their natural question comes up? And I'm sure you've probably heard this. Am I going to wind up with CTE? You know, unfortunately, the, the medical science that's out there right now says that it's directly related to the number of head traumas you sustain. So that's the correlation that, that exists from the, statistically right now. It doesn't guarantee it, it, it doesn't, and it doesn't mean that you won't get it. I, I think the best advice somebody's, and, and I'm, I'm, listen, I'm just a caveman lawyer. You know, mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what people think about us. But we know a lot about the medicine. But a, a competent neurologist, I'm sure, is going to advise that patient uh, to say to, to the extent of you, you just can't have any more head traumas. No more head traumas on top of what you already have. That's going to be that's the best preventative measure anyone could take. Mm. And then the other aspect of this in the world in which we live, because. There's been so much that has been done with medicine over the years. Um, a lot of people expect that someday there is going to be some sort of treatment or uh, medical approach to CTE. What is being done in terms of study of this topic? Well, the most competent study is this Boston University study. You know, by by this by Dr. Ann McKee, and but all that's really geared towards is identifying some kind of connection between it. It's not at all geared towards treatment of it. But you know, we, we have a, there's a lot of research and a lot of money being dedicated to treating dementia and Alzheimer's. I mean, this is a major major issue in our society from a personal uh, health consequence and and cost, and also from a from an economical standpoint. I mean, we know how much money this costs society as a whole to treat our elderly population that suffers from dementia and Alzheimer's and these related diseases. So there's already an incredible amount of attention, effort, and money being spent to try to deal with that. CTE is going to fall right into that category. So, you know, hopefully that, you know, that'll happen. But, I mean, if you think about it, it's like, well, what can you do? Well, you, you can't prevent, we don't know how to prevent Alzheimer's and dementia right now, you know, with limited success. But CTE, as it relates to head, repetitive head trauma, that's not much different than looking at somebody who's, smoke, let's say, smoking cigarettes, and that person saying, well, you know, they're probably going to come up with a cure of cancer at some point. I mean, well, I, or, or you can put down the cigarette, right? You can stop that. That might ha- increase your odds of not developing cancer and emphysema and these things. So same thing for, for CTE and head trauma. Well, maybe there'll be a competent way to deal with dementia, Alzheimer's, and all these kind of things, and CTE-related and tbi related uh, symptoms and problems, but until, I wouldn't wait for that day. I, I, I think you, you're better off saying, I'm going to try to limit my, my chances of being in that category of person that needs this treatment. How do you do that? It's not a popular answer when we're talking about sports, right? No, it's not. Don't, don't have a head trauma. It's not a popular answer. I mean, can you imagine the day where there would not be boxing as we know it today or MMA? Yeah. I can. I mean, because I can imagine the day where there'll be, you know, nobody walking around smoking cigarettes. You know what? Here's a good example in the sports world. There was a time where hockey fans and hockey owners could not imagine the day that hockey players would be forced to wear helmets. 
I mean, we all remember Ron Duguay skating around, and the hockey owner said, if you put a helmet on these guys, the sport will end as we know it. It'll change. So nobody could imagine. There was a time where, people, where hockey owners and fans said we could not foresee the day that, that our players will be required to wear helmets. Yet that's exactly what happened, and the sport didn't suffer. Same thing happened with respect to really fighting and, the, and that aspect of hockey and the goonish aspect of hockey. Owners and, and, and fans at one point had the, and, and not that long ago, had the attitude of, I can't foresee a day where this doesn't exist because then the sport will, will, will be completely different and it'll fail. Well, what happened? The hockey adapted, changed, and it's still thriving. So I mean, we may see the same type of thing. Again, we're, we're, we're sort of at the tip of the iceberg in understanding the connections between repetitive head trauma and CTE and uh, unfortunately boxing, MMA, and, and clearly the NFL are, are, are really in the forefront of this discussion. Paul Edelstein is talking with us on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Ed Randall's talking baseballs along after our 9 o'clock update on The Fan this Sunday morning. This is the 71st anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking baseball's color barrier. Jackie Robinson Day today in Major League Baseball. That's some of what Ed will be talking about on Talking Baseball this morning, undoubtedly. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. I'm Bob Solter. We're talking about the topic of CTE and talking about that with Attorney Paul Edelstein, he has joined us for our entire program this morning. What I've mentioned as well is if you want to join us in our discussion, 877-337-6666 is our phone number. If you want to um, share some thoughts uh, along the lines of things we've been talking about. Um, we also talked a little bit earlier in our discussion about um, a legislative um, approach to this that I want to be able to touch upon again because we kind of mentioned that early in this discussion. And I also want to talk about what role you see for um, the public uh, in the approaches to um, dealing with a CTE. But let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666 is our phone number. Uh, let's see, we're going to... Where are we headed next? To Bill in uh, West Windsor, New Jersey. Bill, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And yourself? Good, thanks. I have a question. The, um, the studies that have done so far with NFL players and others, uh, we understand what the results have been thus far. Have there been any similar studies in rugby? You know, a sport that's similarly violent, um, but no pads, no no hard plastic helmets that obviously we've seen become weapons. Uh, I want to see if, 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 have there been any studies done there? There's none that I'm, that I'm aware of with rugby players. What you, unfortunately, what you have to have is you have to have somebody donate their brain uh, to right. be studied after, you know, after their death and, and then know that they participated in one of these sports. So there's no, there's no study out there that I'm aware of that was specifically rugby players. The most prominent studies, you know, the Boston University study involved football, uh, brains of football players post-death. And, that, and that, that also started with teenagers. That they had a, a, some teenagers' brains that died in accidents that suffered uh, traumatic brain injury within certain periods of time prior to their death. So that was a connection. Okay, we have young 
people who died and, and had sustained head trauma within two weeks, two months, six months of a death. They looked at those brains uh, at, to see if there was some correlation between the head trauma and, and CTE findings, this protein called tau, this, this finding there. Nothing specific for rugby players. It's really head trauma and then football players with this BU study. Got it. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you. Interesting point that you raised, uh, Bill. Uh, stay on the phones at 877-337-6666. That's our number here at The Fan. We go to uh, Tony, who's calling us from California. Where in California are you? Laguna Niguel. Well, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good morning. I'm going to ask the question, then I'm going to hang up and listen. And uh, I have a background in medical, and I'm not going to get into the details of that. But when you do some of the research that's out there that's linked to the Boston study, they, the, 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 what they're getting on rats and stuff like that is a magnification of the effect of CTE when combined with steroids and HGH. And one of the problems is, in my opinion, there's such a high focus on CTE because that's measurable after the patient dies and you could do the studies. But there's very little information about the steroids and the HGH because it's illegal. They hide that and... That combination of those two is a magnifying effect of CTE, but yet everybody only speaks about the CTE side of it. So if you want to give your comments on that or any knowledge you have about that, I'll jump off. Thank you. Thank you for your call this morning. <clears throat> I mean, I, you're going to have to that's, – that's a pretty speculative assumption, though. You're, 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 the brains that have been analyzed, there's no way to know, all right, these 50 brains came to the – examination having taken steroids and PEDs so we could factor that into the variable. You'd have to do a completely different study then and say, all right, here's 100 brains of athletes that took steroids, and let's compare them to 100 athletes with head traumas that didn't take steroids. You're never going to be able to get those control groups to rule that out. I mean, the caller may be completely correct. Steroids and these type of uh, PEDs may enhance the risk for CTE. We're never going to know that. But what we, what we do know is that head trauma is directly correlated to it based on these studies. So I don't know that you need to go to the next step. Taking steroids and PEDs as an athlete has already been proven to have negative consequences over and above it, you know, aside rather uh, from, C, from potentially CTE. All right, back to the phone we go. Let's see. We're going to Michael in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Michael, Thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan. Good morning. Hi, hi guys. I just wanted to make a comment that um, as, as a youth, my father would not let me or my brothers play football. And you know, we were a little upset about it because we wanted to play. But looking back and after the study of 111 brains and 109 of them having the CTE, I am thrilled that my father did not make us play football or did not allow us to play football growing up. So I just wanted to see what you think about mandating it to be flag football until you hit high school and then allowing for contact. I think that's a great idea, and that should be implemented. But I'm curious, what's your thought on that? I, my, my personal thought, I will, you, you can take that. My personal thought is that just like with Mago, uh, with my boxer, why not get an MRI? You know, why not have these preventative measures? I, I, I think your idea, why, why wouldn't you do that? Why not? Yeah, we actually had touched upon that a little bit um, earlier, too. Thank you for your call this morning, Michael. Interesting uh, perspective that you are sharing with us. Um, now, there are people who are 
just joining us in this discussion, and I, I want to sort of revisit something that we touched upon in the first hour of our discussion. Um, briefly, for people who are just coming to the discussion, can you just explain, who, first of all, who MAGO is and what MAGO's law is? Sure. Uh, Magomed Abdul Salamov was a Russian heavyweight fighter. Uh, he fought a heavyweight fight in Madison Square Garden in November 2013. Uh, it, was, it was quite a bludgeoning fight. It went the distance. Uh, at the end of the fight, he was examined by various ringside physicians who all felt uh, that he was fine and okay to go home, uh, even though he had a, a fracture in his face, a severe laceration. He was kind of grotesquely... Uh, swollen and, di- and disfigured from the beating, and unfortunately, he had a subdural hematoma. He had a brain bleed that you you really can't conclusively rule out without a CT or an MRI. Uh, they sent him home, or or didn't direct him to an emergency room. He ended up having uh, significant signs and symptoms of brain injury while at the garden. He was nauseous. He was vomiting. He had severe headache, and ultimately didn't really know exactly what to do, and ended up getting in a taxi cab outside of Madison Square Garden on a Saturday night and going to a hospital. This is a guy that, you know, is not from New York uh, and his entourage also not, not from New York, that he really didn't know what to do. By the time he got to the emergency room and the really life-saving staff at St. Luke's Roosevelt were able to get to him and get him a CT and realize he had a, a brain bleed and deal with it through a surgery, uh, it was too late, too late to really reverse permanent uh, brain damage on him. So that's unfortunately what happened to Magomed. We don't want to see it happen to anybody else in a professional boxing setting. So we've uh, put forth, in addition to litigating on his behalf, a regulation that we think would be much like some of you callers are calling in. Why wouldn't you do some of these things? In other words, mandate that boxers get better care, in that sense, at least be uh, observed for a certain period of time so you can rule out this type of tragic brain injury or get a CT or an MRI right away, which can rule it out. And that's sort of what MAGO's law at its essence really is, and we, what we hope to see happen to protect these guys. If you're going to allow this violent sport, then these guys should get as much protection as they can. Okay. That's a good way of summing this up for people who are just joining us in our discussion. We're talking with attorney Paul Edelstein on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. You want to join us in the discussion, 877-337-6666 is our phone number. Rick Wolf, Sports Edge, follows our 8 o'clock update. Back to the phone we go to Rob in Lake Success. Rob, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning, Bob. Good you morning. know, I love calling in. I love, especially when it gets into the medical discussions. Um, this is just, just, I love it just so much. Um well, I just bring bring a comment, and just a, I have to agree with, with you, guess um, you know Attorney Edelstein over here, and a lot what he's saying. I think I really miss a lot early part of your show, but the mechanics. If you did, you discuss a lot of the mechanics on how uh, CT and concussions come, and the reasons why they happen. Because um, I did miss it, but I'll just, and if you, generally speaking, it's repetitive. Like I heard him say, mm-hmm. it's repetitive, cumulative head trauma. So any time in a sport or activity, whether it even be just even in a car accident from, from whiplash, where the head snaps and the brain, it's really a brain bruise is when the, when the brain, is, which sits in the uh, fluid inside the skull, is snapped and bumps up against the skull. It's a bruise. And repetitive bruises 
is where the problem comes. Now, I heard a gentleman about rugby, and the reason why uh, it probably does not happen in rugby and why we should move in the direction of, of non-contact at, at a youth age is because there's no real head trauma in the sense that the head's not snapping. Of course there is. Soccer, the ball is headed a lot of times, and that's going to cause the head trauma because it, it's a snapping reaction. But in, like, rugby, you try to keep your head out of the way. Heads are not going to butt up on purpose with football to see the constant head hit in, 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 the, in the lineman play. And when, the, when, the, you know, when, when they make a tackle, a lot of times it's just happening. So I totally agree at the youth level. We must think it for the future to get rid of, uh, you know, make, make it a non-contact sport. Now, people, fans are not going to like that. But remember, the most important point I want to bring out here is one out of 10,000 kids or athletes at the college level make the professionals. That means there are 9,999, you know, whatever the math is over there, do not make the pros. And these people are going to be going into society for the rest of their lives, not making the dream, and they're going to live their lives potentially with a, a youth uh, participation and, 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 you know, spending the rest of their lives potentially with this disease. And hopefully uh, I've added to your show. I want to hear a comment on what you guys have to say on that. Paul? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know how you can disagree with that. I mean, it, 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 there's nothing wrong with putting in preventative measures that reduce the likelihood of this. You know, part of your caller's comment, though, sort of goes to a, a, a deeper discussion of, of CTE as it relates to NFL, and that's the socioeconomic component. You know, who is electing to participate in these sports? In, in term, who is the overwhelming majority of persons that are electing to participate in contact sports like this in the hopes of chasing that dream of professional you know, uh, performance for this and, and getting paid for this or getting a college scholarship. You know, you're talking about a level of, of society that economically and from a socioeconomic perspective are more likely to take this risk. Well, that, that maybe that's something we need to address too, right? You know, that it, sh- it shouldn't be limited to this segment of society that's willing to take a, a risk that other people may not because they have more avenues to succeed from a financial perspective. You know, so that, that's something that, you know, a lot of people don't seem to want to discuss here. Who's playing football, you know, and why, if they know these risks? Interesting mm-hmm. points. Um, Rob, thank you very much for your call, your patience on the phone this morning, too. Thank you. All right. Interesting uh, things being shared by folks listening to us. 877-337-6666 is our phone number here at The Fan. We'll get to more folks in uh, just moments. After our 9 o'clock update this morning, Ed Randall is along talking baseball on The Fan. This is the 71st anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking baseball's color barrier. I mentioned earlier that the number 42 being worn by all players, managers, coaches, and umpires today in Major League Baseball as a way of commemorating Jackie Robinson and um, what he meant to the game and the importance and significance of what took place 71 years ago uh, today. 71 years ago. My goodness. Stop and think about that, too. Well, we'll continue in our discussion. A lot more to get to, and we'll get to more of your calls as well this Sunday morning. Dot com. 
We are in a discussion with Paul Edelstein. He's a personal injury attorney here in New York and talking with us about this topic of CTE. A lot that we have uh, chatted about with folks listening to us. You want to join the discussion, 877-337-6666 is our phone number here at The Fan. Let's go next to Gary from Long Island, who's been holding forever. Thanks for holding on so long, Gary. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you guys for taking my call. Um, the, the one thing I'd like to talk about is, is about the NFL and some of the rule changes that they can implement to, to reduce these uh, jarring hits that leave both uh, the tackler and the tacklee uh, on the floor and that, that no doubt result in the, in, the, in the concussion protocols that then have to be implemented. You know, the... Very often I'm watching the game, and I'm a fan of football. I've been watching since I was a child. And, you know, when, when one of my defensive players puts his head down and launches himself like a missile at the ball carrier and then either misses or, or hits the guy so hard that the guy just bounces off and then runs another 20 yards, and the defensive player or, or both players end up on the floor, I'm yelling at the, at the TV saying, dude, pick your head up wrap the guy up, grab him by the waist, pull him to the ground. It's tackle football. It's not kill him football. I mean, that's sort of the point. And I think the NFL in some ways doesn't do enough because they like these, these crazy hits that end up on Sports Center, but that's not what the game is, and you don't need that for the game. And if, and if you made rules where you basically uh, you know, took those hits out of the game and made it more about actually wrapping the guy up you know, with your head up, seeing where you're going... Uh, you know, I'm not saying it would eliminate the CTE, but it would definitely lessen the effect. Because I think that's actually one of the main differences between rugby and the NFL. That in rugby, they're wearing a lot less padding, and yes, it is a violent sport, but they're not hitting for the sake of hitting. There's much more grappling and wrapping and, and tackling that's going on. Uh, that, that's my point. Thank you. All right, Paul? Well, I mean, I, rule changes are good, and I think the NFL, better than any other professional sport, is trying to address this. But to some degree, it's like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, you can't prevent the sinking you know, of this boat or, or CTE altogether unless you're eliminating the repetitive nature of the hits. It's not a popular uh, choice right now, but societal norms change over time for the better. I mean, you just... I keep hearing that it's, it's Jackie Robinson Day, and I can't help but think, wow, there was a period of time not that long ago where it would have been imperceivable for people to think that there would be an African-American baseball player or not too long ago that there would be a president who was African-American. And then things change and generally for the better. So, you know, if you're talking about the bigger issue here and you're tr- reducing it can be accomplished through rules changes and, and, and dealing with it, but eliminating it can only be accomplished by eliminating the repetitive head traumas that these guys sustain. Gary, thank you for your call this morning. Let's go to um, next on the phone is uh, Sally calling from uh, Rockland County. Sally, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning. I am so thrilled that you're discussing this, but I have a slightly different angle. I have a son who is a competitive gymnast who has sustained quite a few concussions, and in the beginning we didn't really take it so seriously. It was just, you know, he landed on his head and, you know, he just needs to rest. But since then, I know his friends who have, and their parents who have started um, their kids in 
sport, really any sport, is they get um, a test done from a sports doctor of some sort where they're actually measuring their ability to recall, their ability for hand-eye coordination, and then, you know, and more, much more in depth. But then, you know, if there's a possibility of maybe there was a head injury and you're not sure to what degree, then they have them, they go to the doctor, they have them retake the test to see, you know, of course it's not the all definitive, but to see if there's a difference. Was there a change in their cognitive functioning? Um, and, you know, because, you know, obviously you don't see the brain. So, you know, yeah, a little bit of rest. But the last concussion my son sustained was really rather bad where it was, okay, bed rest for two weeks and we're going to give your brain time to relax and no TV, no anything. And then, but we don't know, you know, how far he came, you know, how bad was the injury and, and all that. And, you know, eight years later, he's still, you know, sometimes he's got a foggy memory, sometimes, you know, he's just, so I really think getting children tested the same as, you know, before any sport in school, they make them have some physical where, you know, basically they're kind of cleared without, you know, the greatest physical in the world that, you know, in addition to having this cognitive testing at the beginning of learning sports, as well as they should probably also do a cardiogram on all the kids who are going to participate in sports, I think that just gives them a, a measurable guideline. And um, that's what I have to say. All right. Paul, you want to respond? Yeah, that's interesting. What, what she's talking about, there is a test out there. It's called the King Devic test. It's a concussion screening test that the Mayo Clinic has really gotten behind. It's incredibly easy to administer, and it's, in fact, designed for high school coaches to really administer, or gymnastics coaches, anybody, not a medical professional, to administer both before and after athletes sustain uh, any kind of trauma. It's a really simple test where you read numbers off of a card, and it measures your ability to recall them and your timing and your visual recall. So it's, it's an incredibly easy test to administer before and after which will give you an idea before being a baseline, after being, okay, has there been some kind of uh, concussion or, or mild TBI episode? So that test does exist, and, and she's absolutely right. It's very easy to administer and get a baseline for, for young athletes. Mm. Sally, thank you very much for joining us. Your patience on the phone. Travel safely, and certainly good luck to continue with your um, son, too. Uh, tough situation. Very Thank tough you. situation, as a matter of fact, too. Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program after our 8 o'clock update this Sunday morning. Ed Randall's Talking Baseball follows our 9 o'clock update, as we've been mentioning. Today is Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball. 71 years ago today that Jackie Robinson broke baseball's color barrier. Ed will be sharing some thoughts on that, I'm sure, during this Talking Baseball program this morning. And you'll be hearing some things about this topic throughout the day here on WFAN. Um, we're in discussion with Paul Edelstein. He's a personal injury attorney here in New York. And he's joined us for our entire program this morning talking about this topic of CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. We've touched upon, or he has touched upon, TBI, traumatic brain injury. 
as well in uh, this discussion. I guess the question at this point, uh, Paul, is over the next six months to a year, where do you think or where do you see things going with CTE? You've already mentioned uh, potentially what could happen with um, the outstanding aspect of the case involving the uh, Russian boxer that you're representing. Um, but what do you think is actually going to happen with this topic? Well, I think you're going to get more, you're going to have more and more discussion about this topic. The more you have cases like Magomeds uh, be in the forefront of the news, the more you have cases like the NFL, you know, players case, uh, you know, where they, where they, brought this federal lawsuit to get recoveries for retired players. Uh, the more that becomes in the forefront, the more media attention that's put on it. So our conversation uh, adds to the discussion. And in, in our society, anytime you have a spirited discussion where there, there may not necessarily be agreement, you usually garner results. So if the discussions continue and the analysis continues and the education continues, uh, then you're going to probably see some change. I mean, one thing that might happen, imagine if you changed one thing. Imagine if every NFL telecast we watched this upcoming season, if every time a player took a head hit and they talked about him going in concussion protocol, if they just changed that word concussion and said, well, he's in the traumatic brain injury protocol right now, because that's what a concussion is. If just that word changed, wouldn't there be some changes to the results? I mean, wouldn't people look at it differently? I think they would. So the more the discussion happens the more you're going to see changes in terms of rule implementation, safety measures, and certainly post-injury safety measures, which is at the forefront of MAGO's uh, case. In other words, if we're going to allow these guys to participate in combat sports like this, let's make it absolutely as safe as possible thereafter. Same as in the NFL. I think the NFL is doing a pretty good job at that. But if you're not going to eliminate it, which obviously we're not going to eliminate NFL right now and certainly not boxing or MMA, then we've got to take as much steps as we can to protect these athletes. Right now, probably not enough is being done, certainly in the in boxing and the MMA. The federal lawsuit brought by um, the retired NFL players, how much do you think that is going to impact the discussion? Because that, I would think, should bring a real strong focus to this. I think it already did. For the most part, it's resolved. So you're not going to see, and I think that was wise and probably a strategic choice on behalf of, uh, you know, the NFL. Right. Uh, do you really want to see this played out in a courtroom? Mm -hmm. You know, we want to see Mago's case played out in a courtroom because we think it'll bring the issue of his post-fight treatment into the forefront. Let's get it out in the open in the public realm where people could hear what happened and, and then weigh in. The NFL and that lawsuit, that, that, you know, thank, I'm glad it was settled for these, these players that are retired that need to tap into this fund uh, you know, to, to get care that they're going to need. Uh, but to some degree, it'll go by the wayside. You know, it'll be yesterday's news because mm. it's not going to be in the forefront. You're not going to have a trial. And, that, and that, you know, to some degree, that's why litigants and why we, you know, I believe in what I do, and I think guys that do what I do believe in also, that we can effectuate change by bringing this into the forefront. Mm. Hopefully there's not another lawsuit. I mean, do you really want to deal with guys like me after the fact coming in and saying, hey, you know, here's a problem? Or do you want to deal with it before something happens and say, here's what we're going to do to try to prevent 
something from happening to somebody. Obviously, that's the better choice. Do you get frustrated doing this? No, I, I love what I do because I think I'm doing some good not only for my clients but for, for, for people that aren't even my clients. And, you know, and, and I understand what clients and their families go through who have traumatic brain injuries. So if, you, if, if I can prevent one of those things from happening to somebody in the future, I've done something far greater uh, you know, than, I, than I ever thought when I started as a lawyer. Mm. So I, I don't get frustrated by it. I love it. Okay. And I, want to, I want to represent these people, and I want to effectuate change if I can, which is why anyone that calls me like you that wants to talk about this, I'm happy to do it. It's great. Thank what? God we have guys like you in the media, because without the media putting a spotlight on this, there's usually not change. What can and what role do you see, quote-unquote, the public playing on this topic they, over the next uh, year? They play the biggest role, because the, the, the public voicing complaints or, or support for one side or the other is one thing. Economically, economic change is usually what, what spurs things to change, right? So if you have a, a, a billion-dollar lawsuit like the NFL uh, had to deal with or a multi-million-dollar lawsuit like MAGO's. So MAGO's multi-million-dollar lawsuit against the New York State Athletic Commission effectuated change in their rules and regulations, and hopefully we'll do that in the future. The billion-dollar lawsuit in the NFL effectuated change. So the economic component to a lawsuit made something happen. The public's economic contribution and component can make a bigger change. If, if there was an economic effect on the NFL, if, so people have asked me, I've been on a, a lot of podcasts, and they've asked me, are ratings down because of CTE? Well, I, there's no, really, no way to really know that, right? But if that were the case, if they were losing money, the NFL or some prof- any professional corporation or outfit, any business that's losing money is going to say, well, what are we going to do to change this? So if, if the NFL is losing money because people are, tuned, are, are tuning off or tuning out because of brain injury, then they'll say, well, we've got to do something about it. So the public's contribution to the economic component here is huge. If that changes, you're going to see big change. And the question that I don't think I've asked you in the entire time that we've been talking, is there an online uh, resource that you could direct people to we're interested in perhaps finding out more about um, this topic or finding out more about Mago's Law, your efforts? Well, you know, Mago's Law is not codified anywhere, so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, go, go, go to, I don't, you, you can just read it from the media accounts of it. But the, Mago's Law is a, is a small component of what we're talking about, right. which is really TBI. There is so much incredible information about traumatic brain injury and how people can make contributions to research for traumatic brain injury and support people that have sustained uh, traumatic brain injury. That is so readily available. I don't just want to, like, throw something out there. I mean, there's charitable organizations, there's educational organizations, there's just a ton out there for anybody that wants access to it. You know what the problem is? If you don't read this stuff, you're not going to understand. Some people don't want to read it, just like I guess people didn't want to learn about the negative consequences of cigarettes. Well, close your eyes and you're not going to know about it. So if you want to learn about this, you know, it's, it's... The information is just readily available to everybody. Paul, I want to thank you very much for being kind with your time, sharing your thoughts um, and your passion with the work that you are doing, too. Certainly good luck with your efforts. Thank you very much for joining us on our My program. pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Alrighty. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program on the fan. And you can listen to WFAN anytime, anywhere. Simply download the Radio.com app and favorite us today. If you have Alexa, 
And who doesn't? Just say, play WFAN Sports Radio 101.9 or play WFAN Sports Radio 66 and you'll be locked into the fan. That's something you want to do not only for the Sports Edge program, but especially for that Talking Baseball show. Ed Randall will be along with that. We will see you special program next Sunday morning. Our thanks to Connor at the controls. Have a great day, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.